Well, as always, church, it is good to be with you. If you are new or visiting, my name is Tyler David. I'm the downtown AM campus pastor, one of our preaching pastors and elders. We're glad that you're here. If you have a Bible, open up to 1 John 4. To 1 John 4, or however you'll be looking at the scriptures. If you don't have the Bible or on your phone or anything, don't worry about it. All the scriptures will be behind me throughout the sermon. But we're going to be in 1 John 4 here just in a second. Over the last four weeks, we've been going through a sermon series entitled This Matters. Here's what we've been doing. We've been looking at different practices that we partake in as a church and explaining to you why do we do those things. Things like preaching or singing or baptism or communion. We've been walking through those things and showing them they're not just traditions we've inherited and we just keep doing perpetually. They're actually God-given gifts to us that God uses to minister to us. So today, here's the last week of our sermon series on This Matters, and today we're covering why we, why you should commit to a local church. Why we should commit to a local church. Why it's not enough just simply to have amorphous relationships with other Christians, and it's not enough simply just to attend Sunday services, but why you and I are compelled and implored to formally commit ourselves to a local community of Christians. That's what we're going to talk about today. And here's what, here's what I want you to see. If you want to know the main point of this message, here's what I want you to hear. Committing to a local church is all about love. Committing to a local church is all about love. You may have never thought about it that way, but what you're going to see from the Word of God very clearly is that commitment is at the root of what love is. And when it comes to the church, there is no attribute more important than love. There's not one attribute more important than love. When you read the entire New Testament, the entire Bible, it's clear that anyone who claims to follow Jesus must be marked by their love for God and love for other people. Now, there are all sorts of attributes you and I should aspire to and, and aim at. Patience, goodness, faithfulness, forgiveness, discipline, self-controlled, bold, and so on and so on. But of all of these, the one that holds them all together is love. Paul is listing off a, a, a list of attributes and he goes through holiness, compassion, these different things that you should pursue. And then he says this in Colossians 3.14. He says, and above all these, all these attributes I just listed off, put on love, which binds, to, uh, binds everything together in perfect harmony. Love is the glue of the Christian life. Love holds everything together. You see the world through the lens of Love, but love is one of those ideas, one of those terms that it's easy for you and me to go, oh, I totally agree with that. I'm all about love. It's easy to say that. It's a harder thing to live it, right? It's easy for us to go, oh yeah, love is important. I doubt any of you would say, love is not important. I doubt any of you would say, we should not aspire to be loving people. And yet, love is one of those things it's easy to aspire to, harder to do, harder to define. It's hard to define what love even is. Well, how do you define what love is? How do you know if you're loving other people? Because the way God thinks and talks about love is very different from how you and I think and talk about love. Well, when you and I think and talk about love, we view love the way you and I use the term love. We tend to use it as describing what we enjoy. Like when you say, I love dot, 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 I love this person, I love tacos, I love whatever, you're describing typically what you mean is, I enjoy that thing. I enjoy that person, I enjoy that activity, I enjoy it. That's how we tend to talk about love. But when God describes love, he doesn't talk about a feeling. 
He doesn't talk about a moment of enjoyment. He describes love as fundamentally giving yourself away. It's serving, it's thoughtfulness, it's costly, it's commitment. And frankly, our misunderstanding of love and our lack of love is why you and I struggle to form meaningful relationships. Our friendships, our dating relationships, our marriages are easily swayed because we have a faulty view of what love is and we don't understand how God views love because his love, it definitely contains joy, it does. But it's so much stronger than that. It's so much deeper than that. His love is so much stronger than a fleeting moment of happiness. God's love and the love he wants for this church is about committing to the good of another, even at great cost to yourself. Committing to the local church, committing to a local church is all about love. So look at 1 John 4 with me. 1 John 4, you're going to see this really clearly, verses 7 through 12. This is the word of God. It says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that, that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Here's what you see really happening in this text. God is tying very tightly our receiving his love to our love for other people. So the first thing I want to focus on is why should you love other people? I know we all kind of agree that we should, but the Bible gives you a very distinct reason why you should. And the two reasons are this, because God is love and because he gave his son for you. Because God is love and he gave his son for you. The truth that God is love is an astonishing reality to consider. It's astonishing to consider. And I'll by no means be able to plumb the depths of it, but let's briefly consider what that means. It says God is love. It's saying love is at the core of who God is. He doesn't just express love. He doesn't just show love. He is love. He's always been love. He'll always be love. His love is as constant as his presence is, as his person is. It's at the core of who he is. It shapes all that he is. And you understand what love is by looking at God and learning from him. Not, is what we do, we take how we define love, how we perceive what love is, and we apply it to God. Say, okay, if God is love, I interpret love this way. Ergo, God thinks this about me and loves this way. That's actually incorrect. What, you, what we do is we go to God and say, you are love. You tell me what it is. You model for me what it is. And I'll know what love is by looking at God. And all of God's love for you flows from this most basic reality. He loves you and he loves me because he is love. Now, this is fundamentally different from how you and I love people. This is fundamentally different from how you and I love other people. On our own, here's why you and I love people. Because we find something in them that's lovable. That's why we love them. You love people primarily without God because you find something in another that's lovable. You like their, their looks or their income or their personality or their intelligence or their biological ties to you. It's something about them 
that makes you love them. Your love is primarily sourced in them, not in you. This is not so with God. See, he didn't love you because you were lovable to him. You were actually the exact opposite. I don't know if you consider this. There was nothing lovable about you or about me. Nothing that, that drew God towards us. Actually, you were defined by everything God hates. I don't know if you've ever considered that before, but if you think about in your sin, you were defined and you partook in everything God hates. There was nothing about you that made you lovable to him. His love is not sourced in you or in me, it's sourced in his being. Now, when you hear that and you consider that, you may start to think, I feel less loved by God then. Right, if there's nothing about me, not one thing about me made God love me, that makes me feel a little less loved. I wasn't special to him. There wasn't anything about me that said, God, that, oh, that's why I love them. It was all about him and not about me. I feel less loved. But Christian, hear me, nothing could be further from the truth. The truth that he loves you because he is love sets you free. It sets you free to enjoy him at all points in time. Do you want to know why? Because now his love for you is not sourced in how well you did today. His love for you is not sourced in how well you handled parking this morning. No matter how well you thought of him, it's not sourced in your behavior or even in your being. It's sourced in him. It's just so hard for us to think about, to consider because it's so different from how we love one another. I think about my three kids right now. I have three kids, five, two, and six months. And right now, they are as cute as they'll ever be, probably. I don't have older kids, I'm assuming. Downhill from here. <laughs> and they think of me more highly than they'll ever consider me the rest of their lives. I mean, it's a perfect scenario for us to love one another, especially my son, Henry. He's two and a half. Henry is as cute as ever right now. He is a blast. He wants to party all the time. So, so anytime is a good example of it. Like, for, if I'm sitting on the couch... If I get up to go do anything, whatever it is, he's going to immediately run from wherever he is. He can sense it. He's up. He runs straight to my spot, sits there and proclaims, my spot, my spot. I'm like, easy, Columbus. Like, that's not how this works. You don't just proclaim things when they are, okay? But he's smiling because he knows now dad's going to come rough me up. That's all he wants. He wants me to come wrestle with him, throw him out of the way, and sit back down. He is a black, and it's so, I love to throw, there you go, easy, that was easy, like, good dad by throwing you, I'm good at that sort of parenting. But he is such a blast right now, and on top of that, he thinks I'm the greatest. If I ask him, buddy, who loves you most? Daddy. Now, he's wrong, God does, we're working on that, but, we're working on that, no, God does, buddy, and he, gibber, he just runs away, basically. So, but then... I ask him, who's the greatest, who's the strongest, who's the smartest? Daddy, 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 I'm training up right. But guess what's going to happen? The more he gets to know me, the less impressed he's going to be. It's only a matter of time before he realizes he's not the smartest guy I know. Like, he's going to figure that out. It's going to become very clear to him. So look at the scenario. He's super cute. He thinks I'm the greatest. It is set up perfectly for me to love him, right? But here's what I find so often with me, because I, my love is not like God's love. And my love, more than I want to admit, is still sourced in his lovability. Even in the most perfect conditions, our love faints in comparison to God's. 
because I see my love for my son decreasing when he wakes up at 3 a.m. It's not love that I feel for him in that moment. It's mostly rage. I find my love decreasing when he inconveniences my life. I find my love more than I'd like to admit sourced in him. And so even at our best moment, our love is still sourcing the lovability of others. And listen, if God loved you like that, if God loved you because you were lovable and because you earned it, guess what? You would never get his love because you'd never be worthy of it. That's how great his love is. You can never do enough to earn it. And even if you did, you would fail the next day and you'd lose it. Thank God that his love is sourced in him and his character, not us and our lovability. The text tells us we are loved simply because God is love. But here's what's incredible. His love didn't stay dormant and his love didn't just stay as a declaration of his love. He wanted to show us. Look at verse 8. Look at verse 8 through 10. It says, anyone who does not love does not know God. Why? Because God is love. Verse 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. The pinnacle expression, the mountaintop expression of God's love is in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And not just in Jesus generally, but specifically at his death on the cross. Notice the language. It says, in this, in this, the love of God was made manifest. In this is love. And what is he pointing to? The historical account of Jesus' death on a Roman cross. Here's what God is doing. He uses Jesus and his death to show you how great his love is. He doesn't just shout it from the heavens, I love you and want you to remember the sound of his voice. He doesn't write it in the sky, doesn't put it in a sunset, doesn't put it in a song. He doesn't even write it down primarily for you. No, he says, I want no confusion, no uncertainty for my people to know about my love for them. I'm going to give my son for them. He says, you want to see my love for you? Look at the cross. That's the pinnacle of my love. It's Jesus dying for the worst version of you. Look at Romans 5, 8. Don't turn there. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, at your worst, Christ died for us. And the word that John uses is the word propitiation. It's a fancy word that Paul uses to describe Jesus taking on the wrath of God for our sins. Says he's propitiation for our sins, it means he's the wrath bearer for your sins. Because here's what happened when you and I sin at its most foundational level is a rejection or an ignoring or using of God. That's what it is. And so you can do that in multiple ways. You can reject God and ignore him in overt, secular ways, where your, your rejection and your ignoring is very overt, and you can see it real clearly because you say, I don't want God. I want power, money, sex, pleasures. I want life however I'd like it. Or you can also be much more subtle and religious about your rejection of God and use church services and, and church attendance and Bible reading as a way to manipulate God to get power, sex, money, family, the things you really want. See, our sin, we rejected God, and what happened? 
it stirred up his righteous, good, and just anger. You and I treated what is most lovely as second-rate and ugly. You and I prostituted God. We prostituted. We said we want to use you for our own ends. And so God just can't sweep that under the rug. He can't act like it's no big deal because he's a good judge. Good judges don't let guilty people go free. You and I get that in our society. A good judge would not say he's clearly guilty, but he feels bad. Let him go. No, God is good. His goodness hangs on punishing our sin. But his love is what propels him to send Jesus. And Jesus comes, and what does he do on the cross? He's your propitiation. He bears the wrath of God. All of God's anger was poured out on him, not you. That means there's no anger left for you, Christian. There's no punishment left for you, Christian, because it all went on Jesus. He was our propitiation for our sins. And it's in this scene, this scene, imagine it, this scene of a bloody cross with the forsaken, wrath-bearing son of God, that's the pinnacle of God's love. So if you want to feel loved by God, If you want to know, wait, how can I know he loves me? I sinned again. How could I know? Or I'm in suffering. I'm losing this. Where is he? How could I know he really loves me? How could I know? God does not say, look at your emotions. Look at your surroundings. Look at your relationships. Look at other blessings that I've given you. It's not what he says. He says, look at the cross. Look at how far I'll go to show you my love. Nothing's off limits, even my own son for you. He wants no confusion, no debate, no ambiguity. Look at the cross. That's where you see the love of God. That's where you see it. 1 John 4.10, in this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Verse 11, here's the turn for us. So beloved... I love that John calls the people hearing this, you, me, twice in this little paragraph, beloved, dearly loved. If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So here's why committing is all about love. It's because the pinnacle expression of God's love in the cross of Jesus Christ is what implores us and commands us to love the people in this room. That's why we do it. And the logic of this text, the logic of all of 1 John, the logic of the entire Bible is that when you've truly been loved by God, the natural overflow and expression of that love is to love his people. And oftentimes the biblical authors, here's what they'll do. They will diagnose your relationship with God by diagnosing your love for his people. They'll diagnose not what you say you think about God or how much you proclaim to love God. They'll say, well, let me just see how you love his people. Later on in this text, 1 John 4.20 says this. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. He's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. That's one verse of many. It's one verse of many where what you see the Bible doing is diagnosing, let's, I'll see how much you love God, not by what you proclaim, not by how you even feel about God. I'll just look at how you love his people. 
and that will tell me all I need to know. And it's not just loving them however you see fit. It's loving them in the way that you have been loved. And that's why you have to consider, okay, well, then what defines God's love for us? If the pinnacle of his love is the cross, what is the foundation of love? Think about it for a second. If the cross is the pinnacle of God's love, think about what defines God's love. Is love primarily having fun with other people? The cross was not fun. Is love primarily an emotion or enjoying someone? Jesus is crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me on the cross? Is love primarily about chemistry you have with another person? The answer is clearly no. Now, those are not bad things I just described. Enjoying someone, chemistry with someone, having fun with someone. I'm not opposed to that. God's not opposed to that. That's going to be a part, a part of loving people, but it's not the bedrock. It's not the foundation. If God is love and we learn what love is from him and the pinnacle of his love is the cross of Christ, then what we see is that the root of love is a commitment to do good to you even at great cost to yourself. If you're thinking about how would I define love, you have got to say at the bare minimum, it's commitment to another's good. That's what love truly is. That's what God tells us he wants from other Christians. He wants to treat other people with that in mind, not loving them however you perceive love to be, but saying, mimic this love you've received to other people. So that means you can't just hang out with Christians randomly. That means you can't even just like them and think that you're loving them. It has to be you're committed to their good and even sacrificing for their good. You're mimicking his love for you. Verse 11, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. That's why committing to a local church is all about love. You are committing to a community of Christians the way God committed to you. It's all about love. And that verse, when it says one another, he definitely means all Christians for all time. That's definitely what he means. But if if you're a believer here, you're part of God's family, and that family is incredibly vast and diverse, and God's people right now are spread out all over the earth. You have brothers and sisters from every tribe, tongue, nation, and language. And in heaven one day, we'll all be together forever in the new heavens and new earth with new bodies. But until then, all of God's people are spread all over the planet, and a lot of them are in heaven with God right now. And so for you, this text definitely means loving every Christian you meet, but it especially means loving the Christian sitting next to you. Because you are a creature with very specific time and space constraints. You can't love everybody the same way. Like right now, this command, you should love your brother or sister right now who's in northwest India. But how are you going to do that right now? Like, I will Facebook them. Like, I mean, how are you going to do it? He has in mind a very specific context. He means the people in this room. Not some theoretical people, not some theoretical situation. He means the people that you had had in your home this week or you went to their house this week and you got frustrated with them. He means those people. He means a local church. That's why local churches exist. Local churches exist to be a little bitty picture of the whole church. These little sprouts of this larger kingdom where you get to see, oh, that's what the universal church is like. 
So the way you obey this command to love one another, that obedience to this command is fully expressed when you commit to a local church. That's when it's expressed to a local church under local leadership. And that's why we, the leaders of this church, are always giving you ways to commit to this church and be a part of this church. You want to know why? We want you to love the way you've been loved. It's not for the Austin Stone's sake. It's for your sake. It's for you to mimic this love God has shown you. That's why at Austin Stone we call this term partnership. A term we use is partnership instead of membership because we want to really carry the connotation and the meaning that the New Testament has of a people working together, not just leaders working. We want you to be a partner with this church and say, all of us are called to do ministry in various forms, in various ways, with various roles to various people, but we're all in this together. It's we're all bought in. We want you to be a partner because we want you to have a vested interest in this church and the people of this church and the mission of this church succeeding and flourishing. Partnership is a shift in your thinking and honestly it's maturing as a Christian and saying this, this is a people that I want to give something to instead of a people I want to take something from. That's the shift in a Christian's mind. When you get the love of God, the people of God become an opportunity to give something to them instead of seeing the church as someone I need to take something from. As an opportunity to go meet somebody and make them feel welcome instead of complaining how no one made me feel welcome. Seeing the church and loving the people of God the way God has loved you is committing to do good to them even if it costs you an awkward conversation. In other words, you're mimicking God's love for you. And here's what's incredible in this text that I saw this week. When we as a church begin to do that, something incredible happens. When we actually love each other and commit to the good of one another, something incredible happens. Look at verse 11 and 12. It says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Look at verse 12. No one has ever seen God. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Isn't that fascinating? He says, love one another. Hey, by the way, no one's ever seen God. Like, what? What does that have to do with it? He's invisible. Just FYI. Like, what's he trying to say? He's saying, God the Father is invisible. He's infinite. He's eternal. You can't see him. He's spirit. But here's what he's saying. When we love one another, we get to see what he's like. You want to see God? You want to see what he's like? Look at a local church loving one another. That's what he's saying. And he says this, this, this phrase, his love is perfected in us. It's perfected as we love one another. What does that mean? Perfected does not mean that God's love was lacking in some way. Perfection right there means it's coming to culmination. It's reaching its climax. It's going to where God wanted to be because his love was not just meant to stay in heaven and not even just save you, but his love is meant to create a people who now love and serve one another. That you can only know the love of God in all the ways he wants you to know it in a local church. In loving relationships with other Christians where you have formally committed to one another. The local church is not optional, it's not secondary if you want to know all the love of God. If you're not invested and committed, you'll miss out on something. You'll still be loved by God, but you won't see all of his love in the way he wants you to. His love will not be perfected in you and in us 
I just heard a, a story of we should have a partner leader at our church. And he had this job offer with more money, more prestige, more platform, more influence, but it's in a different city. He had two of them actually. And he turned it down because he wanted to stay a part of this church. That was why, that was his reasoning. And here's what is in, I mean, blew my mind when I heard it. I was like, really, us? You know, I, I was just, I wanna hear more about that. Here's why I love that he was actually factoring into his decision making the people that he loves. He's actually factoring in saying, oh wait, I'm getting to know God's love in ways I never have before as a part of this local church. It shouldn't just be, of course, I'll let that go for the sake of more money. Now, I'm not saying you can't ever leave, okay? That's not what I'm saying, bar the doors. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what I'm saying. There's no punch coming up here, okay? It's not what I'm saying. What I think is fascinating about this man's decision is that he actually considered the church as a part of an important piece of his life. It wasn't just, sure, I'll find another one, it's no big deal. What's more important is that I get the things that I'm after. No, he realized, no, I know the love of God because of the people around me and my love for them and their love for me. I love that story because it shows you how important it should be in our processing and our decision making. So I'll give you a couple of practical applications and we'll be done. First, if you're a guest here or you're not a believer and you're on the fence about Jesus, don't panic, okay? We're not asking you to partner right now. We, if you're a guest, we wanna give you time to get to know us, get to know leadership, get to know other people in this church, get to, get to know other partners and really begin to pray and consider, and is God calling me to partner with this church, to be a part of this local church, to go all in here? I really hope he is, honestly. But can I tell you this? Say you're just thinking, I, I don't wanna commit to the Austin Stone. That's fine. Commit somewhere. Commit somewhere. Please do not just attend Sunday services for decades and that's it. God wants so much more for your life than that. That's incredible. Attend and be part of a church, but don't let it end there. So if you're a guest, you're a visitor, we're glad you're here. Don't feel any pressure. But if you're here, second, if you're here, you've been here for a couple of months, I, I want you to really consider, should I partner with this church? Should I say, okay, this is the place where God's love is gonna be perfected in us by me serving and committing to do good to this church? Because I want you to know, as a partner, when you commit to us, we commit to you. It cuts both ways. I want you to know the elders and leaders of this church say, okay, you're all in, we're all in too. We wanna stand with you. We, I, I can't tell you enough how myself and their elders, people who lead this church, how much we love you and love this church. We wouldn't wanna do ministry anywhere else or lead anyone else or serve anyone else than you guys. So when you commit, we're all in too. I just heard a story this week from two of our other elders. I was talking to them about a really sad and traumatic situation that happened with some partners and, and how, I mean, these men, these two men have been so faithful to walk alongside of, this, of these partners. And they were sharing an, an encouragement that they received that they needed because they were getting discouraged from one of our counselors at our counseling center. He told them, he said, I have never seen leaders of a church walk alongside people like this for this long. And I heard that and I thought, it's so true. That's the kind of leaders we wanna be for you. We wanna give our lives away for you in the same way you give your lives away for this church. So I would love for you to consider if you're not a partner, join us, be a part of this. And lastly, if you're a partner, if you're here and you said, I'm all in here, remember this is why you're a partner. 
You're not a partner to get special benefits or special privileges. You're here because you're like, I want to serve this people and see God glorified in this people. Let's be a people who love like this. Partners, let's lead out in forgiving one another. Let's lead out in weeping with those who weep and rejoicing with those who rejoice. Partners, this is why you're all in on this church, so the love of God would be perfected in us. See, unless we commit to a local community of believers, we can't fully express or experience the love of God. So the text says, his love is perfected in us as we love one another in a local context. So as we commit, as we go all in, as we lay our lives down for one another in really small ways and really big ways, God's love will be perfected in us. And as we do that, the world, this city, will see that we are truly Jesus' disciples and that our God truly is love. John 13, 34, a new commandment I give to you. This is Jesus speaking. Listen to what he says. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. You commit to doing good to one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another by this. By this love for one another, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Committing to a local church is all about love. Let's pray together. Father, there is no love like yours. And God, in this moment, before we move on, before our minds shift, God, will we just consider what it means to be loved by you? That God, at great cost to yourself, you lost your own son so that we could know forever through every circumstance, through every season, through thick and through thin, God, that you loved us. God, would it move us just how much we've been loved? God, would it move us that when you want to show us how great your love is for us, you point to the crucified Savior for us? That's the pinnacle of your love. And God, we want to be a people who show this world and experience your love. And God, you just told us that comes as we love one another the way we've been loved. God, right now, would you bring to mind people that we need to forgive? Would you bring to mind other Christians, God, right now that we have been harsh to? That we've been critical of? And God, would today, would we apologize to them? Not with caveats, Father, not with, but you did this. Would we just say, I'm sorry for the way I treated you? That's not how God treated me. God, would you make us a people who love one another in such a way that when people hear us talk about this Jesus in our city, they look at this church and go, maybe he's as loving as they say. God, it says your love will be perfected in us and this world will know we are your disciples when we love one another. God, help us seek each other out. Help us reach out. Help us make phone calls. Help us actually live this out in practice. God, make us a people known for our love for one another. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.